wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. It is one minute after eight. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone number is 0800 150811. Lines are open. South African correspondent John O'Connor on the programme at 8.30. We had an interesting discussion the other week, uh, just privately, and he made some interesting comments in and around how the game's changed from a tackling point of view and why there is greater danger now and why players are tending to go higher in the tackle and therefore why we're seeing more yellow cards, why we're seeing more red cards. And let's not kid ourselves. I think the Rugby World Cup could ultimately be determined by red cards, yellow cards, uh, even where there's not necessarily any intent in some of the tackles that referees will deem to be unacceptable. So we'll talk about that at 8.30. But look, I just want to now, as we're sort of two days out, who is going to win this game between the Blues and the Crusaders? Uh, you go through this Crusaders team and you go to Mighty Williams, Cody Taylor, Oliver Yeager, and you'd say to yourself, well, Tuangavasi, Riccatelli, uh, Nepo Laulala, you would argue probably have parity there. Then you go Scott Barrett, Quentin Strange, and you look at the Blues and you say to yourself, maybe, just maybe, the Crusaders here have a slight edge or are we underestimating the abilities of James Tucker, Tom Robinson. And then in the loose, Tom Christie, Christian Leah Willey and Sione Harvili. I give this one to the Blues. I go Akira Wani, Dalton Papali, Hoskins and Tutu. Halfback, well, you've got a, an incumbent All Black, haven't you, in Finlay Christie. Over Mitch Drummond. First 5'8", Richie Mawanga versus Bowden Barrett. I think you give that to Mawanga. Jack Goodyear, Braden Enor up against Bryce Heem, Rico Awani. Probably, that's probably even. Outside backs, Caleb Clark, Mark Talia versus Lester Fayanganuku and Dallas McLeod. You probably go slightly the way of the Blues. And then fullback Zahn Sullivan, Will Jordan. I don't think Will Jordan's back to his best, and I think Zahn Sullivan certainly on par at the moment. And then in the reserves, I just think the Blues with Kurt Eklund, Lay, Renata, Suafoa, Choke, Knock, Plummer, Pirafeta might just have the measure over McAllister, Kershaw, Sykes, Martin, Reuben O'Neill, Dominic Gardner, Corey Callow, Willie Hines, Fergus Burke, and Shea Fihaki. Who's better coached? Well, I think the Crusaders, without a doubt. And while I maybe in regards to the starting lineups and the bench, talent-wise, give it narrowly to the Blues, I think it becomes even because I just think the Crusaders have the legacy, they have the history, 
They have the culture and I do just believe they are better coached. 0800 150 811 is the number if you do want to have your say. Equally, the Chiefs take on the Brumbies five minutes past seven Saturday night. Have the Brumbies passed... Have they peaked too early? Didn't look great on the weekend. Second time against the Reds, where the Reds almost outcoached them based on talent. Certainly don't have the talent the Chiefs have, yet possibly were outcoached. Chiefs got caught up in the kicking game. Moved, forced to not play their usual game, and their usual game has been that ruck speed, hasn't it? That pick and go. That getting players to the breakdown. Getting the ball out quickly. Setting up second, third phase. Putting the opposition on the back foot. I still can't see the Brumbies beating the Chiefs. And I think Chiefs go in as clear favourites. So potentially we have a Chiefs-Blues final, Chiefs-Crusaders final, and I guess if there were two upsets, and I think you have to say the Crusaders, it would be an upset if the Blues win just because of their record at home, but potentially you could still have a final at Eden Park, Blues taking on the Brumbies. 0800 150 is the number. Uh, two, and I know that we've still got another week to go here, but I sort of mentioned this earlier on the Hurricanes show um, with Gordon Simpson, who was your breakout player of the season and clearly Roygaard the halfback for the Hurricanes is one of them who are some of the other players that have stepped up this year and I, I guess introduced himself to the wider rugby public you know now being talked about as potential All Blacks if not this year certainly in the future Devin Flanders is another one who has been brilliant in the loose for the Hurricanes as well Proctor in midfield for the Hurricanes. Billy Proctor. That's just one team. I thought Adrian Choate for the Blues breakout player. Maybe not. But I think certainly one of the most underrated players in Super Rugby this season. Possibly over the last few seasons. And I've said this. I think if Rugby League are looking to sign up a rugby player, I would take Adrian Choate in a heartbeat because he just doesn't miss a tackle. He's fearless. And surely in Rugby League, that's the first... Well, that's the prerequisite. That's the first thing you're looking for in a rugby league player. Who are some of the other breakout players? 0800 150811. Tim's text in. Thank you, Tim. The Crusaders' home playoff record is 28 and 0. Yeah, it's, um, I think the Chiefs were the last team to maybe beat the Crusaders down there, weren't they? Was that last year or two years ago? Are we talking play, oh, playoff record? My apologies, playoff record, wasn't it? You're right. I thought you just meant regular season. And then I was thinking, no, hang on a minute, that's not right. They lost their opening game this year, didn't they? Did the Chiefs again. Um, but yeah, remarkable record in playoffs footy. So 0800 150 is the number. Uh, look, I, I want to just get um, Ben's input too, because we're going to look at this a little bit later on. But we mentioned the Blues, that Rico Awani is about to play his 100th game for the Blues um, he's only 26 years of age 
it seems to have come around very, very quickly. Um, and I was just talking to Ben, and Ben seems to think that because so many players now have reached that milestone that it's lost a little bit of its aura, that perhaps it's not the achievement that it once was. And I slightly disagree, but I'll get you to Ben to give us... Evening, Ben, anyway, I'll get, get you to give us your sort of um, narrative and thoughts around this. Well, it's got no, well. first, it's got nothing to do with Rico playing it this weekend, yep. but I guess it's more and more we are seeing more people reach that 100-game milestone, and I think the amount of games the guys play now, I'm almost thinking... Uh, is it is that a good achievement as it probably once was? Because I guess in previous years you probably didn't play as many games. Uh, maybe for your country, I can probably see maybe that's a bit different. But I guess even when I look at the NRL and 300 games, is that's the one they really celebrate. But you've got 40, I think there's 48 players in there now who, are, who have reached that milestone. And it's going to get to the stage where lots of guys are going to be in that boat as well and then are we going to okay so is 350 or 400 going to be the next one we celebrate and it just keeps going up and I, I kind of look at other sports Premier League I know they play 38 games a season in the, in the actual Premier League but we don't they don't really celebrate it as much I think in the NBA and all that if you reach a thousand game milestone mm. I think they celebrate it a bit more yeah but do we but, but I mean but they do celebrate it maybe we don't make enough of a deal of it and therefore it gets lost on us because I don't think we look after our legends or our franchise players that well I mean a player disappears overseas they're gone we don't bring out the car and put them in the car and drive them around the ground do we we don't unveil statues we don't unveil plaques we just don't seem to do a very good job of that. Where I think overseas they do put greater emphasis on it, and there seems to be a lot more media and there seems to be a lot more occasion around those things. Is a hundred a big enough milestone? Maybe it is a hundred and fifty. Maybe it is two hundred. Uh, what I will say though, Ben, is I actually you said that it seems to be, you know, not that difficult to do these days. I actually think it's going to go full circle. I don't think we're going to see players with the money that's now available in Japan, the money that is now available overseas in France. I just think we're going to see more and more players, maybe after 60 or 70 games, who don't feel they're going to get a chance in the All Blacks. I think you will just, I don't think you'll see as many going forward. I think people would care a bit more about it had Super Rugby not been around, i.e. Rico Ioane was about to play his 100th game for Auckland, then I think there probably would have been a care factor around it. But I, I but it's just, yeah, I just... Yeah, yeah, but also maybe it's just the fact that the product is just so disappointing at the moment that we're just not that engaged in rugby. And but it's probably the tribalism. And, and, yeah, and therefore we're just, we're just a bit blasé about it. And there's not that tribalism there once was. And you don't go, well, Rico, why do you go, oh, yeah, well, I don't really care about rugby, therefore I don't really care about the achievements necessarily of an individual. I guess when I look at it from the NRL perspective as well, yeah, they mention it when guys play their 50th, their 100th, 150th, but it really seems that when it hits that 200th where it is kind of, okay, he's reached 200 now, this is quite... He's getting up there. He, he's managed to play 200 games. You have about 24 in a season. That's coming pretty much if you're playing every game for nearly 10 years. So the, I think it kind of reaches that stage when you kind of hit the 200. But yeah, with rugby, and it's kind of hitting that 100, is it really a big deal like it once was? I don't think it is, but then I also don't 
I, I like I said just before, I think if had we still have MPC and that was our premier product where we do have that bit yeah. of tribalism at representing yeah. our region, so, so, then maybe. Yeah. So I think the whole franchise things, we just got that level of disengagement and therefore um, yeah, we're a little bit more blasé about it. Interesting that the 11 All Blacks have played 100 tests. I still think that's a hell of an achievement. They get rewarded with that silver cap and you know, in time, I think the great All Blacks are always remembered, but that's starting to wane a little bit. So McCaw sits there at 148. I think Whitelock's next 143. But how long did it take for an All Black to play 100 tests? It took quite a while. 14 years for Richie McCaw, or 15 years if you look at it. But so who was the first All Black to play 100 tests? Wasn't I, it Mills? Was it Mills? It might have been Mills. Mills. In the 2011 World Cup? Yep, might have been Mills Molina, actually. So I, I guess from that perspective, yeah, the fact that it took that long for an All Black to play 100 tests for his country, that's incredible. But when by the time we hit the end of the, uh, the, the decade, how many guys would have been a part of that 100 All Blacks club? Are we going to have 20? Are we going to have 30? Could there even be 40? Mm. Anyway, we'll get some thoughts on it. 0800 150811. Right, a couple of, couple of questions here then. Um, does it... Does it have relevance and importance outside of the relevance and importance it has for the player themselves? And do you think we do enough to celebrate our sporting heroes once they decide to hang up the boots, whether it be in rugby or across any sport? Do we do enough to recognise them? Do we send our athletes off in style? The Americans are very good at it, particularly in their marquee sports. You know, they've got Hall of Fame. I see the Crusaders have just established their Hall of Fame. We do have a sports hall of fame. I mean, would it work here? I mean, I heard a great quote about New Zealand. We're a small country trying to be a big country. And and I think that sort of sums it up. Texts that have come in from Carlton. I'll just put this one. So this goes back to the Crusaders Blues, who's going to win this one. He says, hey, I think uh, Richie Mawanga, um, Sam Whitelock, Lester Whanganuku, and Razor all leaving, I think being possibly their final home game for those boys, they might play as hard as the Blues would play for Rico Awani. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of, there's always emotion in these types of games. There's always going to be a player that's leaving. There's always going to be a player that potentially is playing their last game. Um, but wish, hope, adrenaline and energy is only going to last you so long. And then this text come in, 100 games is an awesome milestone. The majority of us would love to play just one Super Rugby game or NRL game. Look, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, you're 100% correct. But so, I, I guess the point is, do we make enough of a song and dance about it other than just saying, oh, he's playing his 100 tests and he runs out of the tunnel and leads it out? Do, do, we, have, do we have a responsibility to tell that story? Um, and whose responsibility is it? I mean, rugby have been guilty themselves of dumbing the game down, very hard to deal with media-wise. Um, you know, there's no debate or discussion to keep the game in our forefront of our forefront of our minds and so why then should we expect these sorts of milestones to resonate with us and I guess that's more my point is that if it's a big deal then why is there not more of an effort made about it and then I'm thinking is that because so many people have done it now that it's kind of lost well, that there's, there's a sale and there's a there's a there's a line that you use in marketing you can only tell a story once 
And you're right, you know, someone, you know, Roger Bannister's remembered for breaking the four-minute mile. Does anybody really remember John Landy finishing second? Well, those that understand athletics do. Certainly no one remembers the guy that was 50th to do it, the 30th to do it, the 20th to do it. And so there's been that interesting debate, hasn't there, with the English Premier League around Manchester City achieving the treble. First team to do it since Manchester United. But as David Beckham said, yeah, you might have achieved it, but we did it first. And therefore, it's still a greater achievement because they did it first. And there's some merit in that as well. Well, the other one is no one remembers who climbed Mount Everest second. Well, either Hillary or Tenzing technically were second, weren't they? But you're right. I know what you mean. I'm just being facetious. That's right. But you do. You don't remember second, do you, often? Um, yeah, I just I just don't think we got the population for a lot of the stuff that works in America, a lot of the stuff that works marketing-wise in other countries with bigger populations. I just don't think... It works here. You're not going to have tourists coming to a New Zealand Sports Hall of Fame. You're not going to have New Zealand tourists coming to a Rugby Hall of Fame. I mean, the Rugby Hall of Fame and that sort of stuff has really, really struggled at times. I guess, I guess, um, I had, I had a point. And it literally just went from my head, but um, yeah, I guess it's about. I, I understand that we don't have the whole America thing, but yeah, it all just comes back to if so many people do it, it's just not the same. 0800-150811 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. We'll take a break and we'll come back with Graham. And there are spare lines if you do want to get through. 8-11. Extra time on SCNZ. 22 minutes, uh, 21 and a half minutes after 8. 0800-150811. John O'Connor on the programme shortly. Graham, good evening. Welcome. Oh, g'day, Mark. How are you, buddy? Good, yep. thank you. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the, the bit of banter before Gordon's. Simpson and uh, Steve Devine, the two Australians, oh, one Scottish I... Australian and the other one, yeah, Steve, Aussie. Stevie's a good man, but he's a little shit stirrer, but he's a typical halfback, but he, he he does it with a smile on his face. Oh, I know, I know, I enjoy, um, you know, when he's done the Sunday show, yeah. yeah, I always like having a bit of a, you know, a bit of a dig with him, and you know, it's, yeah, no, he's a good analyst too, actually, believe it or not, I actually um, enjoy his comments, you know, no, no, it's good fun, no, it's what... That's what you've always said. Uh, you know, you don't get enough of it. And, we don't um, get enough of it. No, no, exactly. Yeah. So, are no, you com- no, are you confident your boys can win this Friday? Oh, I think we can win. You know, I mean, you know, your confidence as far as um, you know, you, I suppose you, you, you know, things get a bit put into perspective a bit when you lose players. But you know, um, you got to think above that. You know, and I um, you know, I've talked to a few. You know, the guys this week, you know, um, players and coaches, and, you know, they, they, they're very single-minded about, you know, the 23 players there are there to do a job. And, you know, the fans, you know, a lot of people get close. Well, it's easy to be obsessed about so many players being out because it's happened so often. It's been one of the narratives of the year for, for everybody, but the Crusaders particularly. But they, they're focused on, you know, their motivation's high and, They'll go out there to do a job, and you know, there's no doubt the Blues are coming to town with, with a, you know, a team I think that are playing, you know, very well. But you know, don't want to, you know, we're beating them twice, but the Crusaders, you know, that that's irrelevant in 48 hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, history suggests that it's a bloody hard place to win for any team. Um, as I said, I think you're decimated, but I just still think you're just so well coached. And we've talked about just players being able to slot in and the machine just continues to tick along and it's a very slick machine. You know, I mentioned the fact that for the Blues, you know, you've got 
off a of Tuangavasi and you've got Nepal Alala. Well, I wouldn't have Tuangavasi in my All Black team. I've never rated him. Uh, Nepal Alala, I think he's passed his best. I like Ricky Riccatelli. Yeah. I think I don't think there's a lot in it between him and Cody Taylor in terms of the energy they bring. Um, yeah, I think maybe, maybe the Blues have the advantage in the loose um, and probably fairly even in the locks. So, yeah, I, look, I think right across the park, this is a really, really even contest, even with all your Crusaders players out injured. Yeah, and I'm pleased, like um, Justin said a few days ago, that, oh, Dominic Gardner's back in there because, you know, he's a good footballer. Not that he can single-handedly, but, you know, he's got a good future. Um, yeah, I'm very sorry about Ethan Black at it. Um, you know, been out for you know a few, you know, you know, but over a month. So you know, um, that, that's yeah, that's just that was a, you know the comeback game last week. You know, five minutes, but you know the the team that's been picked. Um, he's a good man, Ethan Blackadder too. You know, really. Oh no, I, ju- I just feel for him. I just hope he can get over a, the quad injury. At least it's a quad injury. It's not an Achilles injury, and hopefully we, no, get, no. Him, we get him back for the All Blacks at the right time because we're oh, not yeah. we're not going to win a World Cup without him, mate. No, no, and and there's yeah, he's you know of the Crusaders, Bauer and Reese are the two that you know not available. So you know, if it, mm. but yeah, a lot of the ones you know that throughout the country who are currently injured. Um, most of them, you know, they'll get they'll be back playing rugby again in a few months' time. But yeah, no, no, I'm looking forward to it. But I just just thought I'd give well, you a call. I'll put it this way: I think if the Crusaders beat the Blues, I, and I've said this, you've heard me say this six, seven weeks ago, I still think the Crusaders going and win the whole thing. Yeah, well, no, um, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's great to hear. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it'd be a great contest, and obviously Leon McDonald, Scott Robertson, you know, it's a funny week because you know there's people leaving. Mm. Oh, look, know, there's plenty. Of, there's plenty of motivation for everybody, isn't it? Is this the last game yeah. for Scott Robertson potentially? Is it the last game for Leon McDonald? Yeah, Richie Mwanga, Whitelock, all of these guys that you're not playing, but we, we know what sort of symbolically it is. So look, there's a lot. Look, as I've said, I mean, if if you're asking me, betting man, if I look at the Crusaders, I look at their history at home in the playoffs. Uh, you know, and I'm and I had to put money on one team. You know, I'm going to bet on the Crusaders, but I'm desperately hoping the Blues can win it. Oh, of course. No, no, no doubt. We'll talk to you on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, Are you back on on the yeah, Sunday? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Yep. Yeah, no, 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 no. Looking forward to it. I'll be there. So <laughs> it's cold, it'll be three cold, things in life, that's... Graham: death, taxes, and you at the Crusaders, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> I take, yep. Yeah, there are three certain things in life. Hey, lovely to have you on the program, big guy, and all the very best for Friday night. No, thanks, Mark. Same to you, and have a good, good week. Twenty Twenty-six and a half minutes after eight, you're listening to SENZ. We'll take another break. When we come back, South African correspondent John O'Connor on the program. Interesting discussion I had with him a couple of weeks ago just on the phone uh, when we talked about the Reds player breaking their neck in that game against the Highlanders. Um, you know, we see a lot of players tending to come much higher in the tackle. Uh, sometimes they're a little unlucky in the way it's interpreted because players are dropping or um, players are not necessarily upright when they go into contact. Uh, but John had some interesting thoughts on where it's all changed from perhaps the way we tackled once. We'll have that conversation next. World Rugby uh, looking at a number of ways to try and encourage young people to stay in the game of rugby. Concussions become a big issue. Talks about just making sure that tackles are simply below the waist, certainly no higher than chest height. 
We've seen a number of injuries again so far this season in Super Rugby. Queensland Reds flanker Connor Vest suffering a fractured neck. I've said this before and I'll say it again, you know, and I think a lot of people agree, the Rugby World Cup might just be settled by yellow cards and red cards and most of those will be handed out for probably high tackles. Unintentional, uh, deliberate, reckless, however you want to describe them, there will be a lot of players who will spend time in the naughty chair or whose World Cup will be very short-lived because of an infraction in and around the way they tackle. Has it always been this way? When did things change? I grew up, you were just basically taught to tackle around the legs. John O'Connor, South African correspondent, joins us on the programme. This is a conversation we had on the phone a couple of weeks ago. John, welcome. Good evening, Mark. How are you doing? Very good. Um, John, let's just try and relitigate the conversation we had so that our listeners can mm-hmm. hear what you had to say. But what, what was always the philosophy on tackling growing up in South Africa? And remember, of course, South Africa, very physical brand of rugby, but I would say prior to the 90s, um, the classic tackle was around the knees. So anywhere from the waist down, and the principle was bring the man down. And uh, in the 90s, uh, it, it changed to this idea of the low to high tackle, where low man wins, and the idea is to dominate and drive the ball carrier backwards. Was there a particular game, a particular coach, a particular team that instigated this, or was it an idea that was picked up from another sport? I mean, was it a slow evolution? I think what happened is it originally started from American football, so the NFL. And uh, right now, by the way, the, the, the irony is that they are considering bringing in experts from rugby and rugby league uh, tackling to try and get them to return to what was what they would call a form tackle, what we were just describing, um, uh, punch and wrap type idea. And then when it came from the NFL, it came into rugby league. And then from rugby league, it came into rugby union. This idea of instead of wrapping the arms and bringing down, this idea of driving the shoulder from low to high, And the problem with this concept is, if you think about it, uh, if somebody is running at full tilt and you tackle them, uh, let's say, around the waist, around the knees, they have like an arc of full. So their head can follow a, um, uh, almost think of it like a pendulum motion towards the ground. But if you go from low to high and you hit them, let's say just about the chest height, then the head has got very small arc of fall to follow. So I think what we're seeing is that since this came in in the 90s, and it doesn't necessarily need to be just a high tackle, it can be a cumulated uh, set of impacts over an entire uh, career from starting from at school where is continually being this contact made at chest height, then um, the effects on the brain, well, we see so, so many of these instances and 
Uh, the irony is that uh, we started seeing it in South African rugby at first with a plethora of ex-Springboks or just the level below that suffering from a whole string of uh, neurological disorders, right from ALS through to brain cancer to uh, really rare neurological disorders. And um, and I, I'm very concerned that, that what came in, let's call it 30 years ago, into rugby is part of the reason that we're seeing all these problems now. Okay, John, a, a couple of other things then. So we sort of talked about the American football, we've talked about rugby league, and then it sort of slowly crept its way into international rugby. But I think we've also seen players. What, what impact, though, I mean, how much can we blame also that style of tackling on the fact that the guys started getting into the gym, they just became a lot bigger, and they just felt that uh, maybe just physiologically that they were capable of doing that, they suddenly felt more gladiatorial? Well, I don't know which one is the chicken and which one is the egg. Because... Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt that as rugby became professional, then more and more players could spend time in the gym working just on their size, their explosive power, and their speed. And, I mean, this is a physics game, right? So force is change of momentum. And the faster you are and the heavier you, you are into every collision the more force there is. Mm. So that's certainly a reality. And I think one of the reasons why, uh, besides the cultural um, acceptance of the game and absorption of the game, the, one of the reasons why New Zealand and South Africa were the two preeminent teams for the previous 100 years, for the previous century, were because they had a very agricultural player base. So a lot of, when it was amateur, a lot of the players were working as adults, were working in the farms and lifting hay bales and, and sacks of feed. So you had this natural, natural strength that maybe there wasn't the time to build up in the gym because people were working and still playing the game, even at international level. But now you've got the law of physics taking place and people are just bigger. But I, I wonder also... Something that hasn't been discussed is around about the early 90s, it was possibly the largest change in rugby rules, um, One, at least one of them over the last 100 years when it comes to impact on the game. But I don't know if you remember, it used to be that you made contact and then if you drove forward, you kept the ball. And then rugby changed and said, if you take the ball into contact and it's a mall, you lose it. Remember the old days, all you had to do was make contact and then drive forward, and then you get the ball. Mm. Um, and when they changed the game, rugby benefited as a spectator sport spectacularly. The game speeded up much more. And so you didn't have the thing of going into contact, binding, drive, 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 it, more collapses, okay, now we have a scrum and you keep the ball. So people try to keep the ball moving. But I wonder whether or not the law of unintended consequences is in play here, and this is a consequence of it. Yeah, look, a couple of other things too, though, John, and we've seen with size, and I, I think part of the problem here in Auckland is that, you know, we've often, you look at rep teams, um, particularly through the teenage years, and it's big kids, uh, predominantly Pacific mm. Island and Māori kids who just tend to develop a little bit earlier physically, uh, but 
you know, mm. and, and mm. it's big kids. And the problem with big kids at a young age is they just believe that they can run over the top, no longer looking possibly to mm. run into space. And I think that's then travel yeah, through into the senior game. And what we've seen now is less players running for space, guys looking to just try and run yeah. over the top. And therefore, one of the consequences, again, the tackler doesn't have a lot of choice here. Yeah, exactly right. And and I think what's really interesting for me, and I, I moved to New Zealand in 2016, but I started learning about the New Zealand game through contacts with rugby people and rugby writers um, in the early 2000s. And there was a lot of talk to, you know, I was discussing, I was really interested. I used to write a, um, a column for rugby365.com and, and, I, and I, I did a whole series of a comparison between New Zealand rugby and South African rugby and the widening gap at that stage in how, you know, prior to 92, when South Africa came back into international sport generally, um, South Africa had a winning record against New Zealand. And since South Africa returned in the 90s, the gap between the two in win-loss columns, New Zealand just disappeared into the distance. And so I did a whole look, look at all the different things that were going on. And one of the, uh, between the way the, the game was, taught, the game was administered, etc. And one of the things that stood out to me is how many people told me about weight group rugby. And it appears that what was brought in in the 90s in order to address exactly what you're saying here, which is the, the, there was a whole lot of, there was a drop off at least in engagement with young players because of this issue around differing maturing rates and different sizes. And so up until the sort of under-18 level, rugby was limited to uh, playing in weight grades. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of players that are a result of that, including people like Dan Carter, where people were taught to run into space. But there seems to be a huge lack of that now in my, my son, my youngest son is just turned 18 yesterday. And it seems that rugby is no longer played in the youth groups the youth great more in that in that weight grouping that it was let's say in the 90s mm. and that certainly has an effect because that intrinsic desire to run into space is very much uh, a part of the New Zealand DNA and you it's difficult to get that out of a play when suddenly they're up against um, I think Akira Yuani is a is a fantastic example every time Akira Yuani and I, I, I think he's a tremendous athlete, tremendous player. But I noticed every time he came up against the South African team, his impact was drastically reduced because he's so used to just overpowering his opposition. Yep, yep. And that, that's the problem. And I think that's been a problem with Auckland rugby for a long time. It just gets a bit one-dimensional. They got away with it uh, through their school days. And then suddenly senior club rugby, they don't spend a lot of time there. So those deficiencies, uh, the deficiencies in other aspects of the games mm. are not necessarily discovered. And they're suddenly playing at the highest level. And they are a little bit one-dimensional. Mm. 100% right on it. John, uh, look, I, I mean... You know, we see a lot of yellow cards and red cards, and sometimes you just shake your head and go, look, there was absolutely zero intent in that. This game's been played at full speed. You're allowed cleaners Mm. to come in and clean out at ruck time. Mm. Uh, Players sometimes just naturally slipping or trying to uh, step Mm. and a low. Uh, And, I mean, the last thing we want is a Rugby World Cup where it just comes down to... um, well, bad luck. Does does there need does there need to be some tweaking here in terms of you know 
um, looking more at genuine intent? This is a very thorny issue, but I think if I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's possibly controversial and not that popular. Hey, hey, hey John, 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 you're talking to me, mate. Go for oh, it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just for a moment there, I blanked out who I was talking to. Yeah. Um, fair enough. That's fair. Um, I think that if we're going to err, we rather we err on the side of overreaction, right? What people don't realise is that. For a referee that includes all the, the match officials on the day, their number one responsibility is not to produce a good TV product. Their number one responsibility is not even to enforce the rules or the laws of the game. Their number one responsibility is the safety of the players. And that is how they are taught as a referee. But it's not just the safety of the player that has been tackled. It's also the players that are going to be playing in the following X number of minutes that are left in the game. And it's not just those players they are protecting. It's everybody around the world who is playing next Saturday from every grade six all the way through to yeah, international but, but, level. But John, but John, what's, but, watching but, that game. But John what's, the, yeah, but what's the threshold there, though, mate? I mean, we can't dumb it down to the point where we remove all the physicality. It's a gladiatorial game, mate. No, it is what no. it is. And you can't, no. have, you can't have referees no, so hypersensitive. No, I, you know, Mark, I'm with you 100%. And anybody who's been deeply involved in rugby will always tell you that when you start shrinking off the physical confrontation is when people get hurt. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about passing the onus onto the tackler that they need to go lower. So the tricky part is we are sort of finding our way through here, developing um, a methodology of putting the onus on the tackler that it is their responsibility to go low. So if you're not sure, so you've got a generation of players that weren't required to do this, and now suddenly they are at high speed, and they have to overcome their natural reaction, go from low to high. Whereas the youngsters that are being taught, they're taught to start low and don't go high mm. and, and aim low. And what's happening is that people are starting too high. They, you know, they're sort of starting, I want to hit you sort of in your belly button and up into your, your mm. uh, sternum. Whereas youngsters are being taught now, you want to aim for the upper thighs like we were. So the chances of somebody slipping into that are drastically reduced. It's very similar to what rugby went through maybe 10 dozen years ago when it came to the man in the air. And everybody was up in arms about, oh, you, you know, there's no intent. The guy didn't jump in the air intending to take the guy's feet out from under him. But slowly over time, what happened is that players realized yeah. um, actually – it's your job to make sure that you don't put yourself in that compromising position. And it took some time, but it was unfortunate learning pains. So we got to, yeah, we got, we, we, yeah, so we, we got to take a yeah, step backwards to go forwards. And again, we've got to park the ambulance at the top of the cliff now and come in with preventative stuff and get that next generation coming through, which makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, 
And I think I think more and more. I, I still have an issue, John, and I'm just running out of time here, but I'll give you a quick comment. I still have an issue though when I see a player on the field get a head knock, they lose their they lose their cognitive function, whether it be for five seconds, ten seconds, whatever. In that split second, they've had a brain injury. It's not about leaving the field for an HIH. It's just leave the field and then don't play the following week either. Exactly. Exactly. And um, and the the issue that people who maybe haven't been in that kind of situation before don't realize is that often the player is not fully cognizant of what he's gone through. Mm. So again, it's that whole sort of we may need to over overcorrect to be and maybe some some maybe some players will need to be taken off the field and stop playing mm. when they didn't need to. But that is better. You know who I would recommend at some stage having on your show is the director of rugby at Manukau Rovers, okay. who won uh, the Gallagher last year. His name's Boa Atu, who some years ago um, came up with a safe tackle framework that he presented to Auckland Rugby and to New Zealand Rugby. He's got some very interesting uh, points on this and some great ideas, including a, just a simple thing of having a line on the jersey, you know, a horizontal line on the jersey so that players and the referee, but the players know below that line, it's so simple. It's such yeah, a no, it, simple solution. Yeah, and, and the moment you say that, it's like absolutely, and it would be a great start. And it is so simple, and I'm surprised that nobody has you know, previously thought about it. I'm surprised it hasn't been actually um, put into practice. Hey, look, John, I've got to leave it there, but thank you as always, mate. Uh, you make great radio. You always bring so much common sense, mate, which brings a, bit, brings a little bit more intellect to this show. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. You know, that's what us Africans do. It is seven, six minutes away from 10 o'clock here, uh, 9 o'clock here on SENZ. Uh, look, um, t- some texts that have come in uh, from Carl. Tackling high was brought in to stop the offload. That comes from Carl. Uh, the man has a point, talking about John's comments. When I was a bricklayer labourer at 65 kilograms, I could beat 100 kilogram office workers in an arm wrestle. Look, I think part of the reason why, you know, John talked about the fact now that it tries to try and drive guys back and therefore we tend to go from, you know, tend to sort of target a little higher up on the body. But it is, I mean, you're just bigger. You feel like a gladiator. But also, you know, growing up, we're no longer looking to run into space. We're looking to run over the top. Tacklers don't have a choice. And in some ways, the easier you bring a big man down is you do wrap your arms around um, the shoulders, the chest, in fear of maybe going low and you know, taking a knee to the head by some of these big ball running forwards and then that sort of becomes a habit, doesn't it? Uh, didn't Mike Cat aim for Jonah's thighs? Yeah, I think Mike Cat did, but Jonah Lomu's younger brother said the only way you take Jonah down is go around the ankles. So <laughs> there's always the rule and then there's occasionally the exception to the rule. I don't think how you tried to catch Jonah, I think he was just the exception to the rule. Uh, do you want to continue the discussion after nine o'clock? Uh, open the lines, take some talk back. Um, interesting comments that John made uh, it's the Super Rugby semi-finals this week keen to get your thoughts on the breakout player of the round uh, breakout players this season potential All Blacks for next year um, the players that you've seen in Super Rugby this season how might the All Black team look in two or three years from now uh, with some of the names that have emerged this season four and a half minutes away from nine Nine o'clock, it doesn't get any better than that. Appetite for destruction, Guns N' Roses.
1988, one of the great albums, the biggest debut selling album in history at the time. Not a bad song on it. I always said that when my son Jaden turns 18, I'm going to give it to him. And it's going to be a bit like that scene from Star Wars. Feel the force. Got the dark side. You've got an incredibly powerful piece of music here. It's going to take you two ways. It's going to inspire you. It's going to take you down the path of destruction. Be careful how you use it because it is an addiction. One of the great albums. Still still part of my default setting. Still go back to it after all these years. Um, is it a little bit tired? Maybe at times. And then I have a little bit of a break and put it back on. And boy, it takes back some memories of living in Japan in 1989, 1990, 91. Learning how to ride a bike over there in hot summer days. Riding up and down the coastline of the... Kanagawa Prefecture, Guns N' Roses t-shirt on, no helmets, really bad cycling pants and fluorescent bikes with large aero bars and gear that would be very retro today, but a very, very cool time in my life. Do love the Gunners. Uh, and part of the reason I went to the Guns N' Roses concert in Wellington last year is it, it, it's just a... It's a storybook, isn't it? It's, it's a um, photo album of your life. You go and you go, yeah, they're not as good as they once were. Um, you know, Axel's voice is not quite as good, but they rip through the tunes and it takes you back to certain times in your life and very, very powerful medium music. Interesting, when I, I, you know, you have these relationship breakups. I never played good music when I had my heart broken. I had my heart broken a few times, to be fair. Because uh, I thought, you can take my heart, but you're not taking my music. I don't want to put good music on and think of this time. I'll put crap music on and we'll just have a crap time. And when I get through this, I'll celebrate by putting good music back on. Anyway, I'm digressing. Telephone number here on ECNZ is 0800 150811. You can text us here on double eight double three. We just had John O'Connor on the program and um, I do... I do like the South Africans who talk so highly of their South African teams and the rivalry with New Zealand uh, during the apartheid era up until the 1990s and how they had, um, what's the word, parody with us. Completely oblivious to the fact that you couldn't win in South Africa because of the referees. And I think, if you want an example of it, just watch the tests between the All Blacks and South Africa in 1976. And the referee was Gert Bezadenhout. Bazuidenhout. And you've only got to talk to the All Blacks on that tour um, and the penalty tries that were um, that were awarded and some of the decisions that were made. And you think about it, you've got apartheid South Africa, their rugby team is the symbol of supremacy and you're playing a team called the All Blacks, our greatest rivalry. You didn't have to have neutral referees, you could have hometown referees. And so, yeah, South Africans won, but you were never going to win over there. And it's interesting, they challenged when they left South Africa in that 1976 tour. And this has just been released in a book by Billy Bush. They, Gert Bezadenhout, um came to the airport in Johannesburg when the All Blacks were flying out. And they challenged him on the penalty try in the final test and some of the decisions he made throughout the tour. And his response was simple. He said, listen, boys, you can go to your home, but I have to live here. And I think that sums it up. 
I'm not going to be the referee in apartheid South Africa that allows the All Blacks to win a test series here. 0800 150 if you want to comment on that. You might have a little bit of a story about that. You might be South African and think that we've got a very slanted view of history and that we're only seeing it um, through our own eyes. And maybe South Africa think the same about when the Springbok toured here. But also remember that when the Springbok toured here in 1981... Uh, referee, what was this, Clive, was it referee, was it not Clive Lloyd, uh, that South African cricketer, who was it? Clive Norling was the referee, Welsh referee, wasn't he? Gave that 55 metre penalty to Alan Hewson in that third test at Eden Park about 10 minutes into injury time. But it was a neutral referee. One of the great test matches, the flower bomb test at Eden Park. Anyway, digressing. Um, The tackling, we just had John O'Connor on talking about tackling, why now we're seeing so many higher tackles, uh, more yellow cards, more red cards, a lot more concussions, it's been a detriment to the game and that we've got to go back to the basics and we've got to start teaching our kids again to tackle basically from you know, knee height, knee height and down almost, certainly below the waist and we've just got to continue to educate and we've got to be hard on anybody that doesn't and so that just becomes habit for the next generation. But clearly this generation are having to now make the adjustment after being having played their entire lives, tackling a little bit higher, are struggling to make the adjustment and therefore we're seeing more yellow and red cards. And as I said, I think they're going to be a big factor in who wins the Rugby World Cup. But one of the interesting points that John made, and my um, coach here in Auckland who's done some work on this, suggests having a line across the jerseys you must tackle below that line, and that line must be visible. And it's such a simple idea, but it's just such a great concept. I think it would be brilliant. You've got a target point, haven't you? A little reminder. You might not always get it 100% right, but the intent is to go low, and as long as you've got the intent, that eventually will become habit. Jump on the phone, give us a call. Talk back is a better experience when you get on the phones. Um, I'm not always a big one for talking rugby, to be fair, but I know that it's probably percentages-wise. Um, most of our listeners have an interest in that or rugby league, so I'm happy to go down that path tonight. We've got the Crusaders and the Blues I think on paper the Blues probably got a slightly better team, but I just think the Crusaders are better coached. If I'm a betting man and I had to bet on one team, I'm going to bet on the Crusaders to win, unbeaten in 28 playoff games in Christchurch. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues win either. Which way do you see this one? Who do you want to win? If you're not a Blues fan, if you're not a Crusaders fan, so you've got hate for both. Or are you like a lot of rugby fans, you just simply don't care? Chiefs fans, a little bit nervous about the Brumbies coming to town, the best of the Australian teams. They would have watched the blueprint that the Reds rolled out on Saturday night, a blueprint that almost saw the Reds beating the Chiefs for the second time this season, but couldn't quite get it done. Forced the Chiefs into a kicking game. Didn't allow them to play that 
combative forward game with quick ruck speed or quick ruck ball, phase to phase. 0800-150-811 is the number. Uh, the other thing that I, and Ben and I were just chatting about this after 8 o'clock and maybe for people that have just tuned in, we've got Rico Awani who is going to play his 100th cap for the Blues. And Ben was saying that, is that actually a thing anymore? Is that actually a big deal anymore? It seems to me that a lot of players now playing 100 games. And when you're the first person to do it, it's a big deal. And when you may be in the top 10 people to do it, it's a big deal. But after a while, it sort of loses its luster a little bit. Does it lose its luster because it's too regular or has it lost its luster because rugby's lost its luster and we're just not very good at celebrating those things, telling that story? Well, rugby's just no longer at the forefront of our minds. We just don't have the level of engagement anymore and therefore we just, unless it's the All Blacks, we just don't have an appreciation like we once did. Also, what constitutes 100 games? Is it 80 minutes a game? Is it two minutes a game? And I guess that's one of the frustrating things, I think, for a lot of people now. I know for a lot of former All Blacks who legitimately, like Ian Jones, I know he played 79 tests, but he pretty much played 80 minutes in every one of those tests unless he was seriously injured, where now a lot of players will come on and have 15 minutes and it's a test. They could end up playing 100 tests, but actually didn't play that many minutes. 0800-150811. Ben, I'll get you just to summarise your thoughts on why 100 caps, whether it be for the All Blacks, whether it be at super rugby level, um, has is perhaps not such a big deal these days. Yeah, sure. And I guess I want to start off by saying international, I can understand it's the whole representing your country some sports you don't get to represent your country as often as you might represent your your club side or your province for example but yeah i guess the whole my whole point is that we see it with so many guys now because of how many games are in the professional sporting era it actually does for me it doesn't take that long to reach 100 games and the fact that we've got so many people now who have celebrated 100 games for a side or 100 super rugby games or 100 whatever there's so many people doing it now it doesn't seem to be a really big thing and I guess one thing that I've noticed is that maybe in the NRL because so many players have played over 100 games that it's perhaps the 200 game mark which is celebrated a bit more and I understand the NRL you can play up to 24 games a year in the regular season and potentially another four if you make the the grand final. So there is the chance to play more games there. But I, 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 guess, I guess I remember when I was a kid and when I was a kid, there was, all, of course, a lot more emphasis on provincial rugby. And I could imagine if Rico Ioane was playing his 100th game for Auckland this weekend, I think more people would be talking about it. But yeah. I think the fact he's playing it for the Blues and a competition that people don't really give much of a rat's ass about. Yeah, and it just doesn't have the tribalism, does it? No, it doesn't. And I, every sport is different because in the NBA, you can play your 100 games within fairly quickly. And well, I un I understand well, in like the NRL, I think the average the average 
career span for a player is about 30 games. And I understand, you know, if you play more than that and you reach 100, I think, yes, it's a it's a big moment. But for me, the 100 isn't celebrated as much anymore. And I'm wondering, is it actually important anymore? Mm. Yeah, well, it's, an, yeah, it's interesting. Just going back to your point, too, about the regularity now and also the fact these guys are full-time. Yeah. And as I said, you know, they're managed a lot more. They're gone for 60 minutes, not 80 minutes. You go back to the great Colin Mead. So Colin Mead's played for New Zealand from 1957 to 1971. So we're talking 14, 15 years. Uh, 55 appearances. Richie McCaw played from... 2001-2015, so 14 years, played 148 appearances. So almost three times as many appearances and yet only a couple of extra years in terms of longevity in it. And I think that's the point that you are making these days. There are a lot more games, a lot more opportunity for them. Uh, but also too, man, I mean, there's a lot more incentive to stay in the game, isn't there, with the money side of it. But I'll also say that, as I said earlier tonight, if you've, and this is for those that have just tuned in, I think it's going to get harder for players to play 100, ironically, because I just think a lot of them are just not going to hang around. I think the money overseas is too good now. There seems to be a lot of opportunities in Japan and just more and more players who at some point don't think they're going to be all blacks, are going to set themselves up for the rest of their lives or look to try and just, you know, make twice as much money overseas as what they're perhaps making here as a super rugby player. So it's an interesting one. But um, look, I think the other point too, and I'd love to get some comment on this, is we're just not very good, are we, at celebrating legends of the game in this country? We're not. We don't send them off. We don't unveil plaques. I mean, you go to the great baseball grounds and they retire numbers and they retire players and they have, um, what do you call it? They have, you know, uh, brass um masks of the players that you know are everywhere we've got the odd one we've got michael jones at eden park you know you go to um you go to suncorp stadium in brisbane and i think they've got wally lewis there the king but we're not very good at it are we no we're not but uh, yeah i guess the whole point is that that i guess had colin meads had the opportunity opportunity to play as many tests as richie mccall done how many all blacks mm. would we have had by now who have played 100 tests and there would, when a guy reaches that 100 mark, would it be a big achievement like it is? I think there's only 11 we touched on earlier. Yeah, 12, I think. Uh, yeah, they and, didn't and, have Mills Milliena on there, but there's 12 All Blacks that have played 100 tests. Yeah. Uh, look, the other thing too, and I wound up a whole lot of British, I love doing this. I got on Facebook one day and they were celebrating Alan Wynne-Jones because Alan Wynne-Jones, I think, had played 100 and close to 160 test matches because it include the British and Irish Lions. And they're talking about him being the greatest of all, you know, one of the greats of all time. And I just sort of burst their bubble. I said, yeah, but you're always going to play a lot more tests for Wales than you're going to play for New Zealand because you simply don't have bloody depth in Wales. I mean, you don't. You don't have a lot of guys pushing you out of the team, do you? Where a lot of the time in New Zealand, I mean, there's always that next guy. Historically, there's always that next guy. I mean, Mills Molina gets to 100 tests and bang, Israel Dad comes in. You know, there's always that next guy. And normally your longevity is about 65, 66 tests and the next guy's there waiting. And so sometimes I think for other international countries, it is easier to play a lot more tests because... You, you, yeah. You, there's not the competition for somebody to take your place if you are good. Where I think Alan Wynne Jones, would he have been an All Black? Probably. Would he have played a hundred and something tests? No, he wouldn't have. Well, I think that's also. I think that can be a bit harsh though, because if he had he been playing in New Zealand and playing, he might have become a better player. Ah, he would have been on the bench for the Blues, mate. 
It's not yeah, going to be too much. Say I want to wind the palms up, mate. Come on, let me just wind everybody up. <laughs> no, I, I, I want it to be a fair argument. I'm, no. like, I'm saying, if you, okay, if Richie McCaw did not grow up in New Zealand playing rugby here and he was in Wales, would he have been the same player he is? No, no he no, wouldn't no, have No, no, but been. I'm saying but that's not the point. The point is, Well, though, it's, it is. It's flipping your argument around. No, it's not. The point is, though, that he played he played rugby in Wales and he became a Welsh representative. He's a good rugby player for Wales. Um, if he had had the opportunity, he might not have ever been discovered. Who knows? In a country where there's not as much talent, it's easy to stand out, isn't it? It is. Quickly, just on Wales, it's actually Warren Gatland is featured on a on a BBC rugby podcast, and it's just dropped this morning UK time. And he's come out and he's actually said, had he known that Welsh rugby was in such dire straits, he wouldn't have gone back. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, you also look at that too. I mean, you've got to have a look at Gatland. He, he, he's a typical, you know, he took that team, you know, took that team, uh, stuck with those guys through thick and thin, a little bit like what John Hart did. Past the probably the used by dates, and clearly there hasn't been enough in the background for the succession planning and bringing young guys through. So, is is he inherited problem? Or was he part of the problem? And I guess that's the question. He's probably a bit of the both. Yeah. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one. Anything else you wish to discuss? Keen to get your thoughts. Um, just a couple of other little issues too. Uh, we've just had. Um, Novak Djokovic on his 23rd grand so it's old news but I just want to know do you consider him to be the greatest tennis player that's ever played the game if not why not more grand slams than Federer more grand slams than Nadal it's not like these guys played in different decades they played in exactly the same era played against the same players played against each other is it because people that are shaking their head is what you didn't like him as a person and is that the reason that you want to belittle him? And Roger Federer was so endearing that we're just desperate for him to be the king of kings? Do we have a subconscious bias based on personality? 0800 We'll get thoughts on Ben too a little bit later on that one. 22 and a half minutes after nine. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. You can text us here on double eight double three Between uh, 10 and 11 tonight, we'll bring you our rugby shows. We've got Hurricanes Valley with Gordon Simpson for the last time. He was somewhat incensed by the refereeing decision of Adi Sevier. I don't think he was overly happy and impressed by the Australian commentary team either. But then I guess the Australians probably get frustrated at listening to our commentators. I'll always say this about commentary, it's subjective. doesn't matter who you are, you're going to love some people and you're not going to like some people. English Premier League commentator Peter Jury, who did the World Cup final here, I can't stand his voice. Just don't like him as a commentator at all. Preferred Martin Moxon um, growing up and some other football commentators. number of NRL rugby league commentators at the moment I'm not big fans of. Maybe because I just... Ray Warren was the benchmark. Speaking of rugby league, um, story that's just broken that Shane Flanagan has been announced as the new head coach of the St George Illawarra side. Um, the premiership winning coach uh, to take over the Dragons from the start of the 2024 NRL season. Now the Dragons announced on Wednesday that Flanagan had assigned a three-year deal to take over as coach of the club from the start of next season. He goes on to say, there is this, there is a fantastic opportunity at the Dragons to build something really special over the next few years. While the Sea Eagles will continue to have my full focus for the rest of this season, I also can't wait to get started back at the Dragons at the end of this season work on returning the club to the finals where it belongs. 
After featuring as assistant coach at various clubs and representative levels, Flanagan eventually took over as head coach of the Sharks in 2010, leading Cronulla in 80 games across four years before returning as a coach in 2015. 2016, he guided the Sharks to a top four finish and their first premiership in history with a 14-12 win over the Storm, um, coaching at the club until the end of 2018. Flanagan's coaching... Involvement with the Dragons began in 2020, working first as an assistant coach to before joining as a list management consultant in 2022. He previously played SG Ball, Jersey Flag in first grade for the Dragons across the late 1980s, making three top flight appearances in 1987. His most recent involvement has seen him feature as an assistant coach to Anthony Seabold at Manly, where he will depart at season's end to return to the faithful. So there you go, rugby league story for your... St. George fans, got to say, I um, St. George hold a special place for me. I was like, I've only ever been to one NRL grand final, and that was the '99 grand final against Melbourne. Melbourne Storm winning that one um, against St. George. It was the first time they'd used the Sydney Olympic Stadium prior to those Olympic Games and wanted to test uh, getting people in and out. Had a capacity of 109,000 that day. Uh, amazing atmosphere. And uh, what's his name? Um, the Australian rugby league come boxer Anthony Mundine was part of that dragon setup. But it would be the Melbourne Storm that would go on and win that grand final. Our telephone lines are open 0800 150 uh, Look, just um, in regards to Super Rugby, now that we're getting to semi final time, um, who's been your breakout? player of the year or your breakout players of the year those players that you didn't know too much about at the start of the season but by the end of the season you're sort of saying hey I potentially think they could be an all black they might even be a bolter for this year's all black team but certainly in the future and I guess the one player everybody's talking about is the halfback for the Hurricanes Cam Roygaard I know Justin Marshall feels that he should be picked in the all black team because he just brings something different to Brad Weber and Finlay Christie and believes one of those two should miss out, they will take three. So Aaron Smith, Cam Roygaard and possibly Finlay Christie, possibly Brad Weber, goes to the Rugby World Cup. Uh, Devin Flanders, another loose forward for the Hurricanes, who was simply, well, not magnificent, but certainly um, came on on leaps and bounds and potentially has All Black written all over him. Uh, Billy Proctor, younger brother of former Hurricanes midfielder Matt Proctor. Uh, Justin Marshall again, believes picked on, based on form, you'd pick him at the moment if you just picked a team purely on form. Then you look at, and I'm just going to concentrate on the Hurricanes at the moment because I think this is the team of the future. You look at Braden Yolse, the number eight. Big responsibility on his shoulders next year because he has to try and Pack up the mantle from Artie Sevilla, who's heading off to play in Japan for a season. Who are some of those other players that you feel have been breakthrough players? I'm not sure the Blues have necessarily introduced, I think, Zahn Sullivan, but he's been good, I think, for a couple of years. I don't think the Blues have had too many sort of rookies that have come in that maybe fall into that category. 0800 150 
833 is the number. Is it 1508? No. 0800-150-811 is the number. 8833 is the text number if you do want to have your say on any sporting matter. Uh, just going back to the Chiefs. The Chiefs are another side that I think have players in there that uh, potential All Blacks, I think. Uh, Ramiaka Poihepi, who can play 12, 13, and also 10. Narewa, he might even end up making the All Blacks this year if there's any injuries. Uh, good to see Josh Lord back, but he's already been in All Blacks. He sort of doesn't quite fall into that category. Any other players? 0800 150. Oh, John M- Motson. Thank you. Sorry, someone just texted me and I said Martin Motson. John Motson, I mean. Um, John Motson, English football commentator. Someone's just texted me and thank you. I knew I'd got that wrong. John Motson and Martin Tyler. Yeah, there you go. Both of them. Brilliant, brilliant football commentators. Love them all. And surely the best cup final of modern times. Um, I don't know. There's just. Just, just nice voices, nice to listen to. Just brought a, I don't know, just brought a sense of excitement to a game without actually having to lift their voice or accentuate anything to get it across. Some commentators are just blessed with the right voice, aren't they? Phil Liggett and cycling was one of them. Keep the text coming. Double eight. Double three. Uh, ben, I sensed you wanted to jump in and say something. Well, I don't know if you can include this player, but he hasn't reached the 50-game milestone as far as I'm aware. So I'm going to put him in this category, but I would, would have thought Billy Harmon would have been a yeah, yeah, name yeah. at the top of everyone's lips. Yeah, now Billy Harmon, I think without doubt. I think Billy Harmon has probably... One player that, and I think what makes Billy Harmon's achievements this season is he's playing in a crap team. And when you can stand out against good sides in a crap team, you are a quality player. And that's why I say Artie Sevier was still the best rugby player in the world, even because he was playing in an all-black team that was crap in the last couple of years, but still stood up, still monstered the opposition. Because I've just I've just gone through, because I was keeping a note of everyone's Super Rugby Player of the Round from our Super Rugby shows. Uh, Billy Harmon is the name that features often. I'm going guys, of course, aren't capped here. So Billy Harmon is one that features heavily. Cam Roygaard. Cam Roygaard, Sean Stevenson, which I think is an an obvious one. But he should have got, I I felt he should have got in there last year on the end of the year tour anyway. Yeah, he probably should have. And maybe those rumours around um, his link to the Dolphins probably didn't help that. Yeah, but I think a lot of that's just trying to play one off against the other. I think that's part of the negotiation. I'm not sure that he was ever serious about it. And sometimes the media just play up on these things. You know, the media go, oh, would you ever consider rugby league? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've thought about it all the time. Next minute, it's a bloody headline, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the, those are the guys. The, those are probably the two players that have probably featured in terms of non-capped heavily all throughout the season. Yeah, so probably, yeah. yeah. And I think another player that sort of falls into the role of Billy Harmon is Levi Amua from Moana Pacifica. Now, do we have rights to him? Well, we shouldn't, but we do. Mm-hmm. And the Crusaders have picked him up, but he's another one that stood up in a team that, let's be honest, was fairly damn ordinary. Murky waters, eh? Very murky waters. Yeah. 
Um, I just want to thank that person again, Martin Tyler and John Motson, those two British commentators, still the two best English football commentators I've heard in my lifetime, um, without doubt. Happy to segue into commentators as well. Right, it is coming up to 27 and a half minutes away from 10 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. It is 23 minutes away from 10 o'clock. We'll bring you our rugby shows after 10 if you have just tuned in. So if you're sort of thinking about sort of settling down and just chilling out or you like to listen to the radio or uh, before you eventually do go to bed or go to sleep, then it's a good listen tonight. A uh, little bit of banter between Steve Devine and Gordon Simpson, Hurricanes versus the Blues. Steve, he's uh, your typical cheeky halfback, to be fair, but he does it with great spirit and he does it with a big smile on his face and it's nice to have a little bit of that uh, niggle. Uh, we just don't have enough of that uh, tribalism anymore, eh? It's a big, you know, people, as I say, there's just so much apathy now in rugby in this country. It's just so damn disappointing. So damn disappointing. I mean, if the Blues win Super Rugby, are we going to have a ticker tape parade? Are the Chiefs going to have a ticker tape parade? Maybe the Chiefs might. They might be the last bastion. Crusaders probably won't. Just so used to winning it. And does the excitement last for four or five days? You've almost got to have it the next day, don't you? I see the Denver Nuggets are having one, what'll be Friday New Zealand time. It's Thursday Colorado time, I think. Um, I like Manchester City. Didn't waste any time with their um, parade through the Manchester City side of Manchester. Open bus. You and I both know that there's going to be no parade because the players are going to get told, look, you have to have like you rest before you come to All Blacks camp. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, and it'll be two, yeah, it'll be two. It's interesting watching the Manchester City one, eh? Like, uh, Grealish is absolutely, completely and utterly off his tree, mate, and he is just so toast, and it's great, and I hope no one picks him up for it. It's like, bro, these guys, they are pretty disciplined all year. They just don't have time to be silly, and then you've won the Champions League, you've won the treble. He's had a good season. He's had a couple of beers. He's a bit dehydrated, and he's had a few more. And before you know it, he's crossed that threshold. We've all been there. And he just ends up being the life of the party. And then there'll be some do-gooder out there. I'll be that do-gooder if it's during the season. But at the end of the season, in that one-off situation, as long as he's not out you know, committing crime or um, damaging anything, then, yeah, hey, look, good on him. And most people accept it because we're all human, man. And this is what annoys me about sport, and I keep saying it. Stop jumping up and down and jumping over athletes who step out of line occasionally or not allowing them to be themselves because you think we're all of the highest moral ilk, that we all are of the highest moral standing. We're not. We're flawed, and we accept other people's flaws, and we don't read into it, and we don't get upset by it. Yes, one or two will, but don't cater for them. Okay, if you cater for them, if you cater for them, you're going to lose your audience, and you have lost your audience. Uh, ben, we were um, talking a little earlier about, um, well, I brought up a point regarding regarding Djokovic and whether or not he's the greatest tennis player of all time, and I sort of sense you're not convinced. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely no tennis aficionado, but... For me, it's more the argument around because he's got 23 grand slams that makes him the greatest. And for me, then I'm going, well, are you going to do those comparisons in other sports then? Because I guess basketball is the one where the greatest of all time gets thrown around a lot. And I think in the NFL, it does a bit as well. And they'll be like, oh, Michael Jordan's the greatest. And then they say, because he's got six rings. And then you think, well, if you're using that exact same argument, 
I mean, wouldn't you say a guy like Bill Russell is the greatest of all time? Yeah, but I think I think certain sports have different ways of measuring things. I think in tennis, it's always been sort of it has always and like golf to a degree, it has always been established on Grand Slams or major championships, and that's always been the measure for tennis. Yet you do look at Rod Laver, uh, the last player to win the Grand Slam in a calendar year back in the 1960s. And so you can say, well, hang on, mate, how much weight do you put on that? But what they've always said is it's the number of Grand Slams. Now, look at golf and you go, okay, you look at that and you go, Jack Nicholas has won 18 grand, um, uh, major championships. Tiger Woods has won 15. But you can then start to argue about errors because... Golf wasn't nearly as global when Jack Nicholas was playing. It was very, very elitist. Tiger Woods changed the game. He globalised it. He popularised it. And then in more recent times, he inspired a generation who are now preventing him from winning more golf tournaments. So he's almost his own worst enemy. And I think sport has become a lot professional, a lot more professional. But see, you can't argue Djokovic, Federer and Nadal because they all played in exactly the same era. It's, you know, they all came through. I, 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 what I will say about Federer, and I'd love it to be Federer, and I'd probably, probably contradict myself and possibly still go in and fight for Federer as being the best because what he did is... He was the first of the three to change the game and take the game to another level. And that forced the other two to lift that level. And sometimes you need that person to bring the evolution for that evolution then to become the benchmark and the standard for other players. And I'll give you an example. Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute mile first, shows it can be done. Others then start breaking it. But Bannister will go down as one of the great milers of all time because he was the first. And so there is that argument with Federer that a lot of people will still consider him to be the greatest ever because he inspired those other two. He forced those other two to become better. He took the standard of tennis to another level. But it's an interesting debate, Ben. It's always subjective, isn't it? It's always subjective. Uh, the basketball one's a great one. I mean, the Michael Jordan one, oh, I mean, you can just watch it. You just have to watch it. You just have to talk to people. The guy's the best basketball player that's ever played the game. And it's interesting listening to a lot of people saying, look, you know, you respect, and I hear a lot about LeBron James, and he goes, man, everybody respects LeBron James. Everybody feared Michael Jordan, and that was the difference. And, um, yeah, I think you've only got to watch that last dance, and you just see a guy, mate, who... If you didn't, if you were around it, didn't understand him, didn't get the insight that that documentary, you just say, man, this guy's a complete and utter arsehole. This guy's the most self-centred dude in the world, but actually just a winner. 0800 150811, text that's come in from Michael. Good to have it. Good to have cricket back on free-to-air TVNZ from July 1st. Picked up sports rights from Spark Sport. Yeah, it is. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with it. I just hope we don't get inundated with a million commercials. Mind you, Spark these days, all of these online or these companies like Sky have a lot more commercials. I remember when 
Sky first came into the New Zealand market sort of in the late 80s, early 1990s, and the big marketing, there are no adverts. And then slowly the adverts crept in and crept in and crept in because it's a big revenue source. Interesting, um, just, just on that, interesting that I saw a, I, I don't know whether it was a tweet, I don't know whether it was genuinely um, part of Sky's, Sky Television's directive, but that Taylor Johnson was saying, if you're a former rugby player and you're not going to the World Cup, why don't you come and be a commentator for the MPC? And I'm just sitting there with some other colleagues of mine and we're just scratching our head going, what about actually just getting some proper broadcasters to do your MPC? And I'll explain my rationale behind that. I've been to commentator at four Olympic Games and I only feel like at the last Olympics I was starting to get comfortable, starting to really understand it. Now it's subjective, some people might hate me, I get that. But, you know, I've been in the broadcasting game, I've tried to learn, I've tried to listen, tried to tweak, sit back and then what, we're just going to give jobs to former rugby players? You've got a product that's in decline anyway, that doesn't have a lot of interest, and then you want to go and put amateur and at times crack commentators alongside of a crap product? It's not a good commercial business decision. I say this about commentary, that whatever the sport you're commentating, that is the masterpiece. But how do you enhance masterpiece? You put it under the right light and you put it in the right frame. And that's the job of the commentator. You're the light, you're the frame. But it almost sort of feels to me like Sky just happy to go and put it in a warehouse frame. And why it's not commercially good is that if you've got a product that's only getting a small viewership and you have bad commentators, well, the product's even worse and you're going to get less viewers. If you've got a product but you put really good commentators around it you can enhance it you can increase your viewing audience and advertising is based on your audience so if you've got a bigger audience you can charge more you've got a smaller audience you charge less now this is a profit-driven organization with shareholders you've got an obligation them to maximize your revenue therefore you've got to make sure that you've got quality in your product that you're doing everything you can to try and get the highest level engagement possible. And you've got to be careful that you don't get caught up in identity politics, that you become a platform for I don't know, ethnic balance or equity or whatever else. Just make your product a good one. That is the primary focus of your business. You have shareholders who have invested to put their money in to say, I want to return, I want to see my investment increase and grow. You've only got a small population, so you can only increase the number of subscribers. You might have already peaked, but what you can do is increase your advertising revenue. You do that by highly engaging television. I just shake my head sometimes and just wonder whether they actually get that. Don't get me wrong, Sky do a lot of really cool things to a lot of really good things, and I'm a Sky subscriber. But I'm just highlighting that particular aspect of the business. I find it frustrating as somebody who's looking to try and get work all the time. You know, I get, it's funny, I'm, I'm, I actually get, I'm actually more respected overseas and get more opportunities from international companies than I do here in New Zealand. Mind you, that's sometimes the byproduct of having an opinion.
he gets shut down. The tall poppy, can't have him. He's controversial. Yeah, but isn't Married at First Sight and how many people watch that? Aren't man's defeats on the front pages of the newspapers and man's victories on the back? Why is it everybody stands when there's a punch-up in a game of rugby? Why are boxing and mixed martial arts the highest-viewed sports in the world? Maybe people like controversy. Maybe people like people who are not the norm. Who bring a little bit of colour.